0: Thank you for coming. Just to give you a little background, um, I've been working on a uh, book on the Lost Hot Springs uh, resorts of Montana. and I realized in my journey in doing my research that I I couldn't leave out the Native American part of this history. So what I'm presenting today is a little bit of that uh, research uh, which has been more difficult than I thought it would ever be because there are, there's an oral history, not a written history. And so some of the written things are maybe you're saying, um, I don't know. But I will tell you what I've learned so far about two hot springs uh, in the bitterroot uh, Valley. Okay, I'd like to start with one of the um, quotes that I'll be showing you today from a favorite author of mine who writes historical novels. And um, that's Catherine Govier. And Catherine um, has said a lot about historical truth and narratives and stories and so on. So what I would like to share with you is her view that truth is discovered backwards. And it's fact buried in the flow of impression, in the rubble of stories, uh, told then and now to suit a purpose. So it's a few of these stories that I would like to share with you. And you'll see a mix in this presentation of some of the stories and some of the current um, remnants of those stories that I discovered. I think it's really important when you're doing this kind of history to physically go to the places um, that one is talking about or researching because you pick up things. Uh, uh, I'm from the 60s also. so. I'll, I pick up vibes at these places, and I find it interesting to kind of get into the flow of that. So uh, soaking in hot springs is a treasured Montana tradition that predates trappers and white settlers. Native Americans are known to have used thermal springs around the state for rest and healing for as long ago as we learned at lunchtime as 14,000 years ago. Later, settlers and miners began developing hot springs as their community plunge to be used for weekly baths. Uh, And other springs in in the state of Montana were developed and as resorts or healing um, centers. In fact, there's a newspaper account of a miner from Butte um, who went to the hot springs near Butte, um, the Pipestone. And once a week, he said, because if the, if the Indians did it, he was going to do it, too. That is, take his weekly bath. So there are approximately 61 hot springs in Montana. And this history then is uh, addressed through myth and legend and folklore. I became just a little bit of academic stuff here, but I became interested in well, what's the difference between a myth, a, a legend, and folklore. And I'll just just a little bit on that. I think we have to get at this history, as I said, through other ways than simply looking in archives. So, myth is a traditional story then, consisting of events that are ostensibly historical, though often supernatural, explaining the origins of a cultural practice or a natural phenomenon. Whereas a legend uh, becomes a narrative then of human actions that are perceived both by the teller and the listeners, to take place within human history and values to possess certain qualities that give the story a sense of truth. And finally, folklore, we can say then, is traditional art, literature, knowledge, and practices that are passed on in large part through historical and communication and examples. So there's a little bit of all three of these things in the stories of, I'm going to briefly tell you today. So I'm going to talk about just two springs in the Bitterroot Valley, uh, Sleeping Child Hot Springs near near Hamilton here, and then the other, the Lost Hot, uh, Trail Hot Springs near Sula, which has been formally called the Galilee Hot Spring. So um, just just to move on a bit with that, there are some positive and negative ways that one can view hot springs uh, and their stories. And just uh, a little bit on the negative side. If you're a Jungian and you're familiar with archetypal theory, the archetypes always have a positive and a negative side. So um, to talk about the negative folklore connected and then I will go into um, some views of both of the springs. Um, The Native Americans often thought of uh, what are called little water people, and uh, these were small beings, often in human form, that inhabit springs. And of course, um, they were figments of the imagination, probably, but uh, they were often in human form, uh, around streams and lakes and other bodies of water. They are not evil, necessarily, but they're generally feared by many American Indian groups um, whose folklore includes tales of encounters. So people encountered, so they said, these little uh, water beings, uh, sometimes they're called water babies, uh, near near hot springs. and. Um, Sometimes this little being was a little man, a dwarf who pulls at fishermen's lines, or an old woman who occupies a specific spring and is sometimes seen at dusk. Narrative material concerning them chiefly has to do with anecdotes, with stories of accidental ac- encounters with them. So I haven't hung around some of these streams late in the evening, but I'd like to see one of these little water people. I wanted to mention the underwater uh, panther because uh, although I couldn't find any evidence that it, the stories here in the Bitterroot Valley, it was a powerful uh, mythological uh, being during, uh, in the uh, central plains and some of the other areas in the United States. And this being was a, a cat, a big cat. Um, you can see an example up here um, of this uh, image um, that had scales on its back and on its tail. It was a combination, uh, a chimera, if, you'll, if you want to call it that, between a, um, a regular cat who lived in the water and uh, a dragon who had uh, scales and points on its tail. Up here. And this, this was a, often uh, viewed as a negative figure that um, caused people to drown in bodies of water. So that was the negative side of it. And also, as the years went on, the decades went on, and white settlers came in the mid-1800s into the Bitterroot Valley, there were sometimes conflicts between Native Americans and the white settlers about who had rights to and used um, the streams. So there were battles often at these streams. Now, on the positive side of this archetype, if you will, there's the Great Spirit, the healing um, aspects of what was uh, happening at Springs. So uh, the Great Spirit was worshipped at Springs. Um, Springs healed the sick and the wounded. Uh, And so it was a very positive, it was a sacred, magical place where the Great Spirit lived and the gods and the spirits Uh, came together there, so it was powerful and magical um, for people. Also, springs were often viewed as neutral ground. So when there were wars, um, the Native Americans, uh, warriors, could travel to a spring and rest unmolested by other tribes. It was sort of a time-out space, I guess we could call it where um, the warriors would go to heal their wounds, to rest, and the competing or conflicting groups would come together there, and they wouldn't fight. They wouldn't engage in war. It was sacred ground where people got along well together. And they would recuperate from battle um, and then go back into battle after they left the the, uh, the springs. So in many cases, they jealously guarded the springs and kept their existence a secret from the arriving Europeans for as long as they could. Uh, And battles were sometimes fought between the Native Americans and the settlers to preserve these rights. So I'm still in the process of that part of my research and talking about the battles. So I wanted to focus on uh, Chief Joseph and how the sleeping child Hot Springs uh, supposedly got its name. Um, and by the way, those of you from not from Hamilton, I'm going to show you some of the views of the drive out to um, Sleeping Child. It's a, probably, the mo- I think, the most beautiful spot in Montana. Um, so, and I'm not, I'm not a native. I've been in Montana about 15 years. But um, it's, it's really a fabulous place. So, uh, this hot springs was discovered and used by the Nez Perce Indians in the 1870s. Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce uh, led his tribe out of the reservation and um, through uh, the Lolo Pass into the Bitterroot Valley. In pursuit of Chief Joseph and his people were General Howard and a group of soldiers. Trying to avoid a confrontation, Chief Joseph split his tribe into smaller groups. One such group traveled through what is now the Sleeping Child Creek area, and facing possible battle, they left the infants that were with the group at that time by the hot springs, and went off to fight the battle with General Howard. When they returned, the infants were safe and peacefully sleeping protected by the natural hot springs, and thus the Sleeping Child Hot Springs was named. (laughs) So this is um, a a view from last summer as I traveled up through uh, Sleeping Child Road, uh, right um, north of Hamilton here. Um, And you'll notice the rocky formations. Uh, This is is, uh, rugged territory. Uh, I just found the rock the rock formations fascinating, and as you go up Sleeping Child Road, those of, how many of you have been there, done that? Uh, you notice it kind of narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows, and then finally you're at the springs. If you're willing to pass all of the no trespassing signs, it is uh, privately owned now. And I, I understood um, from people I talked to last summer uh, here in Hamilton that there was a concern in the community that it really should be open to the community, but it's not. You have to make an appointment to go there and look at it. However, i wandered around the outside of that area. So I'll just share some of these pictures with you. Lots of rocks, more along the road. And (coughs) suddenly, as you get near the hot springs and the resort that's there today, uh, there are bears in the bushes. Mm I was sort of shocked by that. These are modern day bears, um, but there are the bears, and they're all kind of uh, statues around the perimeter area where the resort is located. I wasn't too much interested in this part of it because that's modern. I was looking for older things, but the bears are modern also. So there, there they are in the bushes. There are some bears uh, at the entrance. So you can see here, here's the sleeping child, up here, and a bear here, and a bear here. I wasn't allowed to go beyond that point uh, on the day I was there. Some people from California had rented the whole resort, and so as a Montanan, I wasn't welcome. All right, so the guardian bears at the entrance. Some interesting statistics, and many of the hot springs in Montana have Fabulous uh, temperatures, 130 degrees, 200 gallons per minute are spewing forth from this spring, this uh, springs, which is just a lot of water, a lot of hot water coming out of the earth. And there's where it's going today. Here. I have another series of slides that I received <coughs> from the Ravalli County Museum, and I just wanted to share them, not because they have to do with Native Americans, but because they show the significance of place. And if you start looking for things in places, one sees an evolution of imagery, of sensibility, and so on. So these are of sleeping child from the olden days um, of white settlers, and some of the early structures there were log cabins, there are still uh, very few remnants of what was there, but these people came into the springs, either they hiked in or they came by horse. So finally they had horses with buggies, and then the automobile came into being, and um, people started driving out there, they built a little fancier dwelling for people to stay, and finally lots of automobiles uh, came out there, Uh, during the early part of the 20th century, so uh, that that whole structure is not there anymore, but I thought it was interesting to sort of think about how do people get there because it is rugged uh, it's secluded and uh, it has a certain or mystery about it, I think So I'd like to move then on to the uh, Lost Trail Hot Springs, which is outside of Sula and also to see um, I don't have any specific stories. I visited there and uh, wasn't able to determine if anyone could tell me about the things I saw. But I wanted to tell you about what I did see. Um, This is out by the highway. Nice modern sign pointing the direction. It goes down, down, down into a camp area with very rustic cabins. Uh, Looks somewhat like this. And then I discovered on the property, I, I did ask permission to wander around and take pictures, and I saw this remnant of uh, Native American teepees. No one seemed to have any information about it, so um, I took some pictures, but I thought it was interesting that in this setting that was important um, spiritually and medicinally to the Native American population that we have a sort of remnant of maybe how they dwelled when they stayed around the hot springs um, during the olden days, let's call it that. And then I was sort of looking at trees and I came upon uh, this image of Native American carved from a tree that's still rooted in the ground. It wasn't hauled in, uh, it was made right there. And I thought that was interesting that these themes sort of bubbled up like the spring from um, someone's idea of of what the sacredness of that spot meant to the Native Americans uh, much earlier, and uh, made a tree into kind of a totem, but it's not an Alaskan or Canadian totem. It's unique, I think, to the Lost Hot Springs. So if you, if you go there, uh, be sure to look to your right as you come down the steep driveway, because you'll see uh, the chieftain there. I was also interested in how artifacts somehow often are preserved. And this is a much later artifact, but with my interest in Hot Springs, I couldn't refrain from sticking it in here. This is the dining room, part of the dining room, uh, at Lost Hot Springs. And if you've been there, or if you go there, I encourage you to look up at the ceiling, because on the ceiling you will see hanging down these strange looking pipes. Mm -hmm. And they're made of wood. Um, so these were the pipes that piped the water down from the hot springs uh, to the to the bathing pool area from the 19th century. They are made out of wood with some, um, you can see the spirals around them. So when the water came down, it expanded the wood and kept the water from going out of the uh, pipes there. And I thought, isn't that interesting? So they made them into part of their decoration. <laughs> um, uh, 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 of their dining room. So I would um, like to just sort of conclude with another quote from uh, Catherine Govier who said, time is a vessel, and it is a vessel, and it contains all kind of a, a soup of all sorts of things that are images and attitudes and feelings about a place. Um, and the past is then the stories we fill it with. Um, And so these stories are things that I'm still uh, looking for, Uh, many of them uh, in my uh, archival research and my talking with people about attitudes. Um, And I think um, that the image here, this is the tree of the chieftain, regular tree, and then we have the other tree sort of symbolizing the stories that people tell. Um, And the images that come forth as people visit some of these Um, sacred grounds, so to speak. So I'd like to conclude with a special thanks to Bill Whitfield, um, who is an archivist and historian at the Folly County Museum. He helped me find the the views you have of the old sleeping child, Hot Springs, and it was extremely helpful to me when I visited there. So I'd like to thank you for listening to part of my journey. Thank you.